Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the join membership link to access exclusive features. Sunday, July 16th, episode number 74. This is going to be more of a political, philosophical episode, so if you're more interested in the, the practical aspects, then you might want to skip this one. Also, it's going to be a little bit a little bit controversial. It will, and it will be controversial from um, from many different perspectives because I'm trying to find a balance and in a world of uh, unbalanced people, <laughs> there's a lot of hostility towards towards trying to strike a balance. And so to get right to it, I spent whatever it was, five plus hours, um, not during the live feed, but the day after uh, watching the, the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, watching them testify before a congressional committee, the Judiciary Committee, I believe it was. I'm new to this whole studying the government thing. I spent most of my life just being in denial that the government existed and <laughs> and just living under a black flag. But now that I now that actually I would have to say it's it, 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 it more than anything else and really only because of or but for in the legalese speak but for the cryptocurrency revolution I would not be tuning into congressional hearings for hours at a time but I've I've actually kind of gotten a little bit of a sweet tooth for these experiences because on the one hand it's always an entertaining circus on the other it actually kind of in a in a in a sick and twisted way restores my faith in humanity because the the uh the tensions between the parties and the partisanship it's actually uh, i would say maybe from a spiritual perspective it exemplifies the the duality of of yin and yang in a way it's it's actually to me as unhealthy as it can manifest the fact that there is that tension and that we have these mechanisms that were designed by the so-called forefathers. I, wa- I, I wonder what they had nightmares about when they were writing the Constitution, Bill Rights, etc. When they were working on that, were they having nightmares about the future? Were they like sci-fi mystics? Did they have Nostradamus-like? Any of them have any of those? Do they have private conversations? I know they, they say that there's some esoteric, some deep esotericism to those, to those folks. But, uh, you know, there's always that expression, people run, rolling over in their graves. 
I don't know. I mean, maybe they predicted that we that that there's this is a double-edged sword, and that if it's an autocratic, authoritarian regime where it's all top-down and central leader or planning committee just executes and ex- executes plans and executes the people that don't fall in line with them. Um, that's a one-sided. I mean, that's a. I won't say it's not a double-edged sword, but I will say that it ha- that it's definitely um, it's my mortal enemy, and therefore I'm as much as I would like to abolish the state, I'm going to enjoy <laughs> living in a so-called democracy and have the have the the, the gratitude to to. Be thankful that I'm not living in an authoritarian regime, relatively speaking. And I've learned enough about the world to know that really so-called Western democracies for, for all of their hypocrisy and corruption and misdeeds in foreign policy and militarization of the world hegemony and empire building and conquest and colonization that's a lot to not forgive but to acknowledge and and set aside to say that well at least even in in spite of all that there's still a, a modicum of a chance that it can be modified by the people from the ground up that it's even possible and so there's an onus on the people to actually exercise the the uh, the rights and the the freedoms and the, the the powers that they have, as symbolic and as ineffectual as they may seem. But you can't only blame the fascist dictator if you have the right to vote them out or to do. Or to, or to galvanize the will to have a constitutional convention and to really go deep into changing things in a way that doesn't just flip-flop all the time every, every administration or every Supreme, Supreme Court uh, majority partisan line, whatever. But right now, back to me and this show focus the, the comedy for me is that now that I, thanks to cryptocurrency for, in two ways, I have the financial freedom to spend an entire day or entire week or even months if I want to just studying a topic that, that, that escaped me while I was in the grind, rise and grind, working class, workaday world for most of my life, even though I found ways to kind of, to hack around some of that grind uh, by being extra frugal, sleeping in my trunk and sleeping on skid row and still working and dumpster diving and foraging and gardening and stuff like that. But still, I didn't have a lot of free time and energy to um, occupy myself with studying up on all these blind spots. But now, 
Thanks to cryptocurrency, I can afford to be more up on current events and more sophisticated in my civic duties of being informed. Um, but I also, it behooves me to, for the sake of preserving the value of the cryptocurrency that I didn't sell to have the freedom that I have for the future potential accrual of value for that remaining stack, I need to also be aware of what's happening, the machinations of the the gears of the government. And so, so here I am. Yeah, now, shockingly, surprisingly, deriving some some cynical and some wholesome pleasure and, and education and entertainment from uh, from from watching these hearings and to me I'm just like can everybody make it into a dance party and a slumber party and a potluck why does it have to be so stiff why does it have to be so aggro why is why is everyone wearing suits this is an opportunity of a lifetime to have such a an interesting kind of and an ever more diverse environment of, of people coming together and and the and it just seems like there's this tendency for everyone to take themselves too seriously. And I and I really feel bad bad for the for the uh, the people on the hot seat because I see how they're how how the uh, the committee members just wind up these haymaker punches, you know, days and weeks and months in advance. And uh, it's very, seems very staged, the hostility. And um, obviously they call that grandstanding, but I'm just kind of understanding what this, this theater is all about, trying to read between the lines and everything. And, and I think for the most part, I feel like it's maybe 10% constructive and 90% total grandstanding macho BS. Um, but nonetheless, I still learn things and it's still entertaining. So I'm actually at a point now where someone like myself, who since the age of 12 has been has been representing the black flag of anarchism to the to the core of my being as a, a rebel, a dropout, a a street punk, later a musician and a activist and I would say warrior for what I believe some people would call social justice warrior. Well, maybe I'll call a social revenge warrior, ecological revenge warrior, because I take a little I like a little more teeth in my, in my revolution, in my, in my, my warpath. And then later also integrating an ecological consciousness, becoming a tree sitter on the front lines of the, what was ended up being called the green scare. And uh, luckily dodged the brunt of that just by it, gra it just grazed my scalp like a bullet, that green scare crackdown. And uh, I was in the epicenter, not from day one, but geographically speaking, in the epicenter from shortly after day one of 
of uh, ground zero of what became what some people see as very a very um, uh, uh, not so distant rel- uh, relative of the Red Scare and and the the next iteration of CoinTelPro in the form of what was evolving into these what they call Joint Terrorism Task Force. Task, task Force is, if you will, I guess, I, I guess, I mean, I don't work for them, so I don't know the ins and outs, and I avoided the grand jury um, by the skin of my teeth. And to this day, I've said before, I was smart enough to know the difference between nighttime activities and daytime activities, and that if you're a above-ground uh, advocate for for um, any means necessary, then you either choose to stay above ground and that precludes an underground career or you don't say anything, you keep your mouth shut and you go underground and you stay underground and it's the people who tried to do both who eventually got got cracked down on and got, got their arms twisted and turned on each other and some of them went to jail and some of them will never be trusted again in any of the movements that they that they kind of grew up in. And I guess from the perspective of law and order, the streets are safer. But, uh, and it's, it's probably never been safer to be a corporation that rapes the earth um, because post 9-11, all of this carte blanche um, ability to crack down on on dissent. It was uh, it was it was the end of a lot of that that wild west of Earth First and uh, eco anarchism and whatnot. So, but yes, there was a time when I was involved in things as a a. Um, What will be the way to put it? Um, a, st- a statistician of legality, legal ninjutsu in a way, to where, as an above ground advocate and activist, nothing I did during that time that would be considered underground was of anything. Uh, more serious than a misdemeanor. And I maintained that policy throughout because for me, I felt like I was more of a psychological warrior, propagandist, information warrior. And I wanted to recruit, I wanted to educate. And there was a paradox that I realized early on, which is that and this was before the internet became what it is now, which didn't really solve the problem, and it actually made it worse. But, but back in the in the primitive days before the internet was really taking hold, so-called radicalization rarely happened in a vacuum. I mean, how many radical activists are going to go and discover and stumble upon completely in isolation in a vacuum of influence. They're going to go read some 
Edward Abbey book, Monkey Wrench Gang, or or the like, um, or they're going to read some manifesto, or they're going to get a hold of some zine. For a lot of us, it was the punk rock movement and the underground zine culture. And so we were cross-pollinating, we were influenced by the art and the culture and the music and the lyrics of Resistance. But what did that do? It paradoxically, it basically doxed us and outed us all by default because we weren't being radicalized in total isolation to where we could be the everyman or we could be the gray man. And certainly a lot of us dressed like and showed our politics on our sleeves. So it was kind of a joke. The idea of going to black block protests and having all your patches on that identify you as a unique character <laughs> based on the bands that you like and whether you're vegan or not and all those types of things. But you put you put a mask over your face and you think that that they can't suss that out, that the jury of your peers can't uh, can't can't figure that out well I did actually defend myself in court and and win and uh, I was in league with the National Lawyers Guild I believe that was the volunteer organization that represented a whole group of people who were protesting the uh, the bombing of Iraq um, back in it was uh Man, it was over 20 years ago. That's all I know at this point. Um, but I had that little brief experience cross-examining uh, cross the arresting officer, my arresting officer, and the discovery and watching the tapes, the footage, and being able to verbalize the contradictions in the police report versus the the testimony of the officer and the, the footage that contradicted his testimony and his report, and that was enough. I would just say that uh, I've tried to walk and, 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 and dance that fine line of expressing radical views and and hoping to galvanize and and build solidarity and empower people but um but just be keenly aware that 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 put that puts a lot of limits on on what you're able to do and to this day if i if i knew how to synthesize totally isolated vacuum radicalization processes that did not risk exposing people into the highly surveilled um, communities of, uh, of, of activists radicalizing each other. If I knew how to do that, I, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't hear from me again, and, and, and you would never know about it. <laughs> but next best thing is for those who are willing to, like any good warrior would, be willing to sacrifice their freedom and their life for the cause that they believe in and for those of us who believe in freedom and ecology then we're willing to pay the ultimate price in defense of the earth in defense of animals and that's that
And so, during my more, shall I say, uh, youthful years of expressing that energy, I, I was um, guilty by association of being in the tribe of the most persecuted within the Green Scare. And then I had a little bit of my own wild adventuring that got me even closer under the radar, under the microscope. And then years later, somebody did some FOIA Freedom of Information Act uh, requests on some of those task force investigative documentation packages and whatnot. I don't know how many offices, uh, stacks of paper were filled, but, but I mean, I wasn't surprised when someone told me, hey, look, you're, you're all over this redacted document. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, we, we were taunting that. We wanted to wear that as a merit badge. Look, I matter. I'm important. I'm on the list or whatever. And I didn't think it was cute. I didn't think it was funny. By the time after it was maybe 15 years later or something, I was just like, yeah, we were all just like Bruce Willis said in 12 Monkeys about the the army of the 12 Monkeys. They're just a bunch of kids playing revolutionaries or something like that. It was really dismissive what he realized. His intelligence about, as an operative, his intelligence about what the army of the 12 monkeys was that they were it couldn't have been them they're just a bunch of dumb kids playing revolutionaries and that's how i feel about my younger self and i know now from doing more studying about how the system works and how leos work they they and it was actually january commentary on january 6th where they were expressing surprise and shock at how at how how the percentage of of those individuals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, the percentage of them that actually were closer to middle age, if not middle age, had established businesses and livelihoods that, that, that were things that they had to lose, and then the percentage of them that were that were former military. And what was surprising to one of these commentators, who I believe was one, one of the, worked for one of the agencies in, uh, law enforcement agencies, federal level, uh, was, would say that that was shocking to us because we just trust and expect that the domestic violent extremists, they only really have this short life cycle that exists in their youth, and maybe up through their early 20s or whatever, and then they settle down, they get jobs and families and careers and you know they 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 get they stop rocking the boat because they're in it now they used to be fighting against the system and now they're part of the system that's from uh, pump of the volume very astute discussion of dealing with the psychology of being a radical boat rocking 60s hippie activist and then and then just get, building a family and a and a, and a a home life and a career and then that's the end of you so it, they were shocked that it broke their pattern and they wouldn't have necessarily yeah in a million years <laughs> 
that that caught them off guard for sure. And and of course, when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, how embarrassed how embarrassed do I feel for all the rhetoric that I spouted when I was younger, not realizing that eventually I would sober up and <laughs> and realize that taunting the state in that way. One of my Native American mentors said to me, "Yeah, our elders tell us don't to- don't don't go into the the cave and poke the tiger in the balls." You know what I mean? You got to be a little more subtle if you're going to survive, you know, and live to fight another day, kind of thing. So now, where I'm at is obviously I I was not uh, apprehend I was not apprehended framed punished i i i got away with the minor infractions and misdemeanors that that i that i did far far uh back before this this uh far far beyond the statute of limitations at this point and um and and I, yeah i've always been evolving towards more sophisticated nuanced compliance and understanding of how the matrix really works and what John Zerzan once said that really struck me was he said when he was critiquing the limits of reformism by changing the laws he said laws are how the whole system works it's the code of the whole system it's what enables all of the destruction that we have and I'm paraphrasing a little bit but when he said that the law is the code I immediately translated that to myself in the sense of that he's right in the sense of the matrix law is actually the code of the matrix just like all of the the laws of physics in the matrix they're all they're all coded by by some designer that that's happening at some level of 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 computer science wizardry but in the in the meat space world not so much digital but in the meat state uh, space world where all of the world's militaries and and corporations and and international law and relations and treaties and everything it runs on human language that's the operating system is human language and has different obviously versions per culture and dialect and 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 different language but ultimately code the statutes all those frameworks that's what that's what starts and ends wars that's what allows people to be locked up and with the key thrown away at the end of the day most of the world now is running under a code book of laws and it is to me now now I'm at a point where yeah I'm not I was not even when in my even in my 20s I was not the guy who was going to go to jail for 10 year prison federal you know what me in the you know what prison for 10 years so that I could impress girls by throwing rocks at cops at a public demonstration with a, with a, a shoddy mask on and all of my other biometric identifiers and other very idiosyncratic fashionable identifiers making me an easy target to to, to, to pull out of my school or place of work or mom's basement within a week, you know? I was not the tactically foolish individual of that nature. 
Um, not to say that I never made mistakes and that I was always a, a genius when it comes to tactics, but I was not that guy or gal. And I also wasn't the one who was going to go out and give my skull cracks with a, a sucker punch or, or, or I wasn't going to get a... Uh, blindsided by by a baton and get my skull cracked which i saw footage of people could have been standing right next to me at the wto protest so eventually i got to a point where i realized there's clandestine underground or just understanding that looking at the system the way neo was trained to look at the system by morpheus and the matrix is that what i'm telling you is that you won't. You, the, the, what is the line about how he's able to develop the the ability to dodge bullets? Basically, to me, I can't remember the exact line. I wish I had it. It would have been so so on point. <laughs> it would have been so crispy if I could have pulled that up right now. But point being, more and more, I say to myself, Do I want to be? the Jedi who can wave my hand and say these are not the droids you're looking for and have the lowest among the pawns of the state just not have an effect on me I don't want to go toe to toe with a gang of boys in blue I would be like the Ninja Turtle who when they see the boys in blue they don't get into a bravado shouting match with them they hide in the sewer and they run and they they live to fight another day. There's something very profound about that, and ninja, ninjutsu being the art of ninjutsu being the art of invincibility, or invisibility rather. But hey, <laughs> Freudian slip that actually works. But living to fight another day. I I also realized early on that this is not a country, at least the U.S., where you get to have a fair fight with the man. And in the anti-globalization movement, watching all of the street battles, reading about them, myself editing articles about them and being a part of the propaganda uh, intelligentsia of the movement where I was within media activism, of course, being out in the streets where I could get to, the Battle of Seattle, the Battle of Los Angeles, not trying to give myself any commendations, but I'm saying that, uh, you know, I wasn't slacking on my duties to appear and to kid up and be out there on the streets where, where and when I could in the U.S. during the peak of the anti-globalization movement and the buildup before 9-11. But all, all around the world, what we were discovering, us in the West, is that because of the surveillance state and because of how litigious it is and because of the lack of chivalry of law enforcement in mob formation, I guess I should say, because maybe there are individuals. In fact, Woody Harrelson and that film with Woody Harrelson and Ray Liotta that was made, I think is actually called The Battle of Seattle. And it tries to humanize all of the different characters. And it's actually pretty well done. I have to say, because I was there and I, I've got the 
emotional and uh, probably scars in my lungs from that tear gas that they were using. So I've got the scars to say that when I watched that film, it was it was pretty well done and it was pretty and it was pretty fair and actually r remarkably fair in how it tried to humanize all the different um, stakeholders, the stakeholders in Law and Order, the stakeholders in Revolution, the stakeholders in just working class rights and environmental justice and the stakeholders in the delegates from all around the world who actually were were um, collateral damage in that shutting down of, of the of the proceedings and whatnot so anyway it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it and who you know yeah great actors and great performances so um but yeah that was pretty pretty accurate and uh The uh, the thuggishness of of group mob police violence, I've witnessed it firsthand. I have friends, close friends, who've been who've been maimed and 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 uh, hospitalized and killed. Well, um, not in this country. I do have I do have someone who I would say is a friend who was killed in protest uh, in in Latin America. Um, and I have also an associate who, who died uh, in action in the in the tree sit campaigns, but not be, not because of a bullet or, or or a baton to the head, but just the occupational hazard of climbing trees like Ewoks the way that we were doing, where the people are still doing in some places. But I re quickly realized that reading and studying the headlines and processing the narratives and articles that these foreign fighters all over Europe, mostly European countries with longer, deeper traditions of more serious leftist parties and worker parties within their governments. I mean, real political power around not just Marxist communism, but around even anarchism and, and even around just a serious non-nerfed non-pacified working class voice in politics in, in at the party level not a farce like it is in the US and those countries there are many of them where street battles with police as we've just seen many times over the last several years, there's a big difference between what happens in the U.S. and what happens oftentimes in a lot of those countries, is that it's not, it's an, un, to me, I would observe it as an unwritten law, an unwritten understanding that it's going to, that it's a real battle and you may and you may have the you may be able to get away with throwing Molotovs, Molotov cocktails, incendiary devices. You may be able to actually fight back with not a total symmetrical, balanced sort of um, arsenal of weaponry and 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 defense defensive. Uh, equipment and, and, and mobility platforms and tactics and training. But it is more like 
It is more symmetrical and more like Braveheart on those street battles than they were in the anti-globalization movement and they had been before and they are to this day. I believe in, in cultures where the, those cops, they know what, they're, the, what the sport is, what the game is. They get to be the gladiator, they get to play in this gladiator game and they get to bludgeon and knock people's teeth out, crack their skulls and kill them and drag them into alleys and just beat them to a pulp as if they're Alex and the, uh, the Clockwork Orange gang. And that's what the cops get to do. And there's not this um, prerogative that there is in America where we have a surveillance state, we have the technology and we'll just Pound, pound you with bean bags and and rubber rubber bullets and tear gas, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, until you jaywalk, and then we'll 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 uh, pounce on you, throw you in a van, and then trump up your charges, and you'll never see the light of day for years, and you'll lose your you'll get kicked out of college, you'll lose your apartment, you know, your girlfriend will break up with you, and your life is ruined, and. And then you get, and then you you get uh, radicalized in a criminal direction. In the, you know what me in the you know what jailhouse or prison. And it's just as simple as that. To me, it's no there's no chivalry, there's no honor, in using that hyper litigious surveillance state to preclude the possibility of a fair fight or even a close to a fair fight, which has never happened. There's never been a fair fight between riot cops and protesters, probably anywhere in the world. But of all of the places in the world, I don't think America, I don't think, yeah, I think we're nerfed more than almost any other culture in the world. Even if we have uh, some gun rights, I think we're, we're, our, our, our militancy is dwarfed from infancy by design. And um, I'm not going to elaborate on how I might want to shift that pattern. I'm just acknowledging the truth and the reality of where we're at, which is that it's a tactical mistake and it's tactically incorrect to go toe-to-toe with the police state on the public streets when they have the tactical advantage and there's no element of surprise, virtually no, virtually no element of surprise. There have been some surprising incidents actually this of late that I will not enumerate, but, um, but, but still the grinding attrition of throwing your body and your life in the meat grinder, not just of the physical violence of the state, who has basically impunity to blast tear, gra- tear gas and concussion grenades at eye level to bl- blast your eyes out and crack your skull open and kill you, that oops, that it's an oops for them to do that. Good luck. And then what do you do then? So to me, it's tactically incorrect to want to glamorize that style of street fighting and I only glamorized that, st- that style of, of, of street fighting when I didn't know any better when I was a teenager and maybe a little bit of my earliest of early 20s and then I stopped and uh, 
I, it, it wasn't because I sold out and I joined the system or that I became a lawyer and realized, oh, the way to fight back is through law. And some people do that, and I actually respect them because in the environmental movement, it, if I was on the front line risking my life in the tree sits, the hope and the prayer was that the the works of the front lines of the lawyers or the midlines or the back lines of the lawyers, that they were doing the injunctions on the timber sales and that our job could be done at one location and we could move on to the next and defend another endangered uh, old growth forest uh, sale, for, basically prevent it from happening. So there was a, and that's where I learned to respect the warriors of code, the warriors of law in, in the movement. And uh, yeah, no, just a bunch of riffraff, ragtag kids in the woods partying most of the time and being squared away and disciplined and on duty in a military manner. I actually got that because I was trained in the forest by ex-military. They weren't deserters. They didn't go AWOL, but they left the military. They joined the environmental movement and they became my they were the ones who trained me in forest defense. So I got the the uh, Earth First style forest defense training from ex-military, ex-US military disgruntled radicals. And that's when they taught me about don't leave our defensive security camera out in the middle of the logging road. That's not secure operate in a military manner and they instilled in me certain squared away tendencies and um, it turns out there's a lot of people who join the, the, the radical environmental movement not the MAGA movement but the radical environmental movement and they were squared away and they knew how to make knots and they knew how to survive maybe some of them were ex-special forces or, or rangers but they were at home in the wild and they were there to protect the wild lands of their own nation and probably getting a little bit of good, maybe a lot of good PTSD healing from being in the forest like that. So I salute those warriors who trained me. And, um, and I'm talking about this continuum, this nuance, and this relationship with the state and the violence of the state and the authority of the state and also the relationship with inner rage and the desire to express that rage in, in an aggressive form and then the obligation to have a duty of care about mitigating the risk of harm to life from, from activist um, activities, uh, campaigns and various tactics and strategies and whatnot. And back in my day, in the movements that I ran with, it was very much our mantra that, that we believed in resistance by any means necessary up until the point of violence, which we were careful to define as harm to living or living beings. And that 
that was basically a way of carving out a gray area to say, if we got to do what we got to do to stop you from doing what you shouldn't be doing, and the politicians and the lawyers aren't effective at doing that, and it's coming down to the violence that you're going to propagate, that you're going to perpetrate against life, we're going to defend that life with force to stop your violence. And the only violence there's going to be is what happens if we tangle in the process of our tactics attempting to prevent your machines from doing the earth rape that you're doing or the animal torture and abuse and testing that you're doing, etc. That was the ethical and moral principled position that we took and that I have held to this day where I do not want to hold grudges and have personal animosity towards any individual agent of the state and I don't want to uh, willy-nilly engage in the promotion of harm and violence even if it's being cognizant of the legal precedents that allow me to speak about uh, advocating generalized acts of violence without being specific about time, place, and manner and thereby not um, not posing an, an, an eminent threat of harm that's credible to anyone or anything given the way that the, how the laws are constructed. So I'm not reading that off of a statute, but I the spirit that is the spirit of the law. And so five hours of watching the director of the FBI be grilled by very hostile extremes within the Congress, uh, parties in the Congress, and then um, or within the committee. I can't even remember now. Was it a House or... or uh, so anyway, yeah, but, but I believe the Congress is the word that encompasses both. So, so forgive me for being for being ignoramus, but um, but it was yeah in the committee being grilled by both parties. I do know there are those two main parties, and uh, some some people. I, I found myself in the moderate position in the middle, and I found myself really feeling sorry for, and standing with the director. And there are certainly directors that I'm aware of that I would have intrinsic animosity towards, but it could be blissful ignorance. But for this, for the most part, personally, from what I've heard from in previous speeches and how he represented himself in this in this uh, in this proceeding, I really felt like it wasn't just a facade that he put up about really um, leading with the important work that the agency does that the almost 40,000 agents do day in and day out to protect you know this to protect the nation from foreign threats of all kinds to protect us from violent extremists internally to protect us from the infiltration of lethal drugs and child predators of all kinds and trafficking of humans for all purposes. 
I have to I have to say it's a love hate thing, and it and it it just goes back to this um, this dance this dance between the uh, the vigilante and the and the the uh, the state licensed and officiated crime fighter. We just disagree. The laws don't don't um are not set up and defined in a way for for us to always agree about what the laws should be and what they should be applied to and what the the priorities should be i would certainly love to see a coin telpro go after gmo companies and a coin telpro go after uh all of the animal abusers and, and torturers and a CoinTelPro go after all of the forces that um, perpetuate injustice against the most vulnerable and marginalized people and, and beings, animals and working class folk and minorities of all kinds. And in some ways, some people call it woke culture and whatnot, but what was so fascinating to me and why I, I felt myself standing with the director during that, during that hearing was that um, surprisingly, and even Glenn Greenwald commented on this, I'm now listening to his system update show every, every day that it's on because I find him to be a fascinating um, source of uh, analysis that is seeing in everybody's blind spot. And so I'm kind of hooked on on the system update Greenwald uh, rumble experience. But what but but what I what I'm what I'm discovering is that uh, in this time of of the marginalized actually having a voice now more than ever probably thanks most of all to social media more than anything the movement building that's been able to happen from me too to cancel culture to critical race theory and all of these other things i don't think that these would have snowballed and had the momentum that they had in order to become so 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 such a wrecking ball of of the status quo really talk about rocking the boat whether whatever you think about it what however you feel about it whether you feel uh triggered by it or that your white fragility is shaken up by it i i gotta say it's it's it it's uh it's about time and 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 i'm not i'm not surprised and and, and in a lot in a lot of ways i was part of some of that early energy before social media to to fight back against the conservative monopoly of all of the law enforcement agencies and the entire media industrial complex and in order to to break open a little bit of space for there to be any counter narratives now some people might say well they they kind of got an inch and and, and took a mile 
and now things are even more confusing. Well, you know, that's what happens after 400 years of slavery. I mean, that's what happens after all of this repression and, uh, and, and church and state collusion despite the uh, ostensible separation thereof, etc., etc. So, yeah, I think there was a very spring-loaded, very long time coming kind of backlash that was about to happen. And, and now you find the FBI. <laughs> like, I gotta really say, man, you used to be my mortal enemy, and now I'm kind of, like, um, trying to be a shoulder to cry on because you're getting beaten up by all sides now. Because now, before, it was just the left who you were uh, systematically fuckerizing for, 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 since the beginning of your existence. That was pretty much the mission statement, was to fuckerize the left and to kill and maim and murder and silence and betray and sow distrust and... Be, be the agent provocateurs to 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 uh, to lead the left into um, into the trap of of imprisonment and entanglement with the uh, with the 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 snarling dogs of the state, and it was very effective. But now, now that uh, you've been infiltrated by by wokesters, if it's what it comes down to, it seems like now. Your uh, financiers, your backers, and your the ones who wrote you that blank check for violence, they're the ones coming after you now because <laughs> you sort of betrayed them. There's a double agent operation that's happening. And it, to me, yeah, there's that meme about popcorn and whatnot, but I'm actually not, I mean, I'm, I'm, there is a little bit of, sick poetic justice going on but but honestly the steadfast position that was held and represented in that hearing it just reminds me that yeah there 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 is the there's the the whack-a-mole that the FBI has to play with extremists of all kinds and now there's so many different flavors of right-wing and left-wing extremism, and that's what's so clickbaity and headliney anymore that it looks like that little thin percentage of effort by the FBI to do its job, that it's overrepresented as a caricature, and the reality is that the is that the the bulk of the majority of the efforts that those 40,000 Asians do on a daily basis is they protect children, they protect us from drugs and from hacking and from being subverted from foreign adversaries. And that that like we're focused on skin rashes that they're out there trying to trying to mitigate with with a small percentage of their of their labor force and their intelligence and their 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 whole apparatus and we're focusing on that because that's the superficial thing to do in a superficial society 
but the real work that they're doing is actually being an immune system for national security and probably the most effective because they are unlike other intelligence agencies who do not have the power to enforce laws and to apprehend people abroad. They have the most teeth and the most power worldwide to protect U.S. national security. And it's, it turns my stomach to salute that because of all of the things that I represented. But there's, there's a point in which you realize that uh, you, don't, you don't bite the hand that feeds you even if it's poisoning you the way that the whole system is set up to poison all of us by the corruption of collusion of the state and corp- of corporations in the state in order to to keep us debilitated and sick and and for the 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 corporate dominance to prevail and for the the lapdogs of the of the corporate elite to be agencies like the FBI and others where on their worst days they're just the the soldiers of that corporate mafia going out and breaking your legs kind of a thing and uh yeah it's not pretty it's not fun when they come to make an example out of you whether you're a former president or you're a former black block street fighting activist like me It's not, pre- it's not pleasant for anyone. But that's why you don't poke the tiger in the balls, as my Native American uh, friend said, speaking from the wisdom of his elders. So for me, I'm exercising my, my rights to be a, a commentator on all of this. And uh, no, I'm not stockpiling illegal weapons or transporting them or <laughs> hiding an entire uh, an entire platoon of uh, Nazis in a in a in a, <laughs> a a rental truck and then getting in formation in a hotel parking lot just to have somebody rightly look out the window and drop a dime out of vague suspicion I mean talking about some of the world's dumbest and most tactically incorrect least tactically correct uh, low-hanging fruit for the FBI to to swoop to to swoop up on and others I mean yeah social media is not the place to uh yeah, they used to say the revolution will... Well, there was a Destroy song called Revolution in Malabi Analog, but the revolution will be encrypted, I'll tell you that much. And with strong encryption. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to say anything more about that, but I will definitely say that uh, out of respect for... for the, uh, I don't even want to say adversary, but respect for, for the, um, for the, the code of law, that there are codes of law governing 
law enforcement agencies and the agents of the state and their codes of law governing me as a civilian. And, um, and I'm very interested in the ways that I can exude the spirit of the Founding Fathers and to fight back against tyranny and do it in a way that doesn't make me um, culpable for stiff sentences, for doing really dumb things, really, for the most part, just to get attention and to try to be a martyr and to try to have people make me into some sort of vanguard hero. That's the ego trip that makes it easy for them to uh, manipulate assets and to put them up to things is because they're preying upon they're preying, preying upon a set of a set of patterns weaknesses the acronym is mice money ideology coercion and ego and that's how for example agents like those case officers of the CIA would turn a, one of their targets into an asset by playing, preying upon one of those potential hooks that they could get into somebody. Money that they're, you, that they're interested in being paid off, that they'll do it, they'll, they'll, they'll do it for hire, that they, that's their motivation. They would betray their country and risk being killed for treason and tortured over money. Okay, that's some people. That's a lot of people. Next would be ideology. Someone who actually cares about a cause. Plenty of those people. Coercion, which some people would say is the least effective. Nonetheless, can be very effective. And that's just, we're not going to pay you. We don't care what you believe in. We're going we're gonna to threaten your family or we're going to threaten you and you're going to work for us whether you like it or not. And maybe there's a threat of extorting you because they'll put you in jail or they'll frame you. They'll put you in jail for something legitimately they have on you or they'll frame you and that, that would be coercion for sure. And then the last one, ego. And this is a little bit more of a nuanced one, but a very, yeah, very uh, classic thinking man's espionage kind of thing. But my understanding of the tactic of ego for turning an asset is that if you can get them talking drunk at a bar about who within the hierarchy of their higher-ups in that chain of command they feel most insulted and demeaned and dehumanized by that they would like to get back at, that they would like to undermine and like to see hurt for all of the hurt that they've done them, that it's their ego and their desire to seek the downfall of others or vengeance against others, that that will be one example of how the ego could be used. So it has nothing to, I don't care, you don't need to pay me, I don't believe in anything, you're not trying to coerce me and if, and if you did there'd be nothing you could coerce me with. You just need to tell me how you're going to help me get back at somebody or make me look good and make me look better than somebody and because what feeds me and motivates me to be a traitor is my ego. 
So those are the four categories, and I'm sure there's all kinds of permutations within and beyond that, but to me, it's it's worth get developing more, just more of a sophisticated understanding of how these how not to be a useful idiot for charismatic leaders of a vanguardist revolutionary movement to where you're the one who gets your skull split while they're the ones getting laid <laughs> with the bullhorn and 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 they've got the jail fund and they've got the lawyers because they're the founders or they're the the leader and then you're just the soldier and there's no recourse for you yeah it's perilous to join movements even that claim not to be hierarchical and it's perilous to yeah be out there in the movements because the movements and the greens the people in the green scare that i was in close proximity to that i displaced from at just the right time they were the ones who got to experience mostly coercion i don't think they were paid off i don't think that that they had an ideology that was intrinsically against the movement that they were already in they weren't trying to defeat themselves so ideology was out and they weren't trying to get back at each other through ego it was coercion it was you got families talk and and help us get who we want to get and that's the way that's the way to do it it's 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 a a situation i never wanted to be in and luckily i've never been in and i hopefully will never be in and there's a code of conduct and ethics to where if you cross a certain line you better be prepared to keep your mouth shut and luckily i've never had to do either of those things i've never had to be in contempt of court and i never crossed that line so here i am and i'm no longer advocating to cross the lines that i advocated before in my 20s my teens now i'm advocating something far different and i've spoke about it before but it's called the tactical permaculture podcast for a reason or show for a reason it is what it is and it was my immersion into working with activists directly associated with the Zapatista movement working with anarcho-punks gardeners in solidarity with indigenous people throughout Mexico the people who taught me that to be a real warrior to be a real eco-warrior you can't just hang out in the trees try to save the old growth you got to be of the land you got to grow your own food and become the land and be willing to fight and die for it you can't just float around and fight for this cause and that cause and that person and that struggle and that identity and just be a tourist because you can because you got no roots you got to eventually grow roots if you want to be real like us that was the subtext of my experience 
and my evolution politically, training with people who have some deep roots in real stuff, <laughs> and uh, and always looking up to them and always being humbled by them, humbled to tears by how much of a poser I felt in their presence. And no matter how much kit you wear on Instagram or how much of a LARPer you are in video games or whatever, to me, the real bona fides is whether or not you actually are operating and building and maintaining and securing a real ecologically secure fortress that provides all your needs. And until anyone who is a so-called revolutionary has mastered permaculture to the point where they can provide that for themselves and their comrades and support their resistance energetically, hydrologically, phytochemically, in every level of mineralization and, and micronutrients and macronutrients, that you master permaculture and you become a Swiss army knife that can function and operate anywhere in the world with almost no capital to be a real asymmetrical guerrilla warrior with permaculture. That would allow you to be agile and capable of putting down roots and working with the quote-unquote indige and having value to add and not being what we call them in the forest, bagel munchers, the people who hung around the campaigns but were useless because they would eat the food but they wouldn't they wouldn't dig the shitters, they wouldn't climb the trees, they would just hang out and party and bullshit and party and bullshit and party and bullshit when the revolution comes. There's a lot of brave people fighting for their lives, fighting for their land, fighting for their human ecology all around the world. And for most of my life and my struggles and the people I've associated with, it was a very thin fashion trend. Even if we wanted it to be more, we didn't know how to make it be more. And what I learned is that there is a way to make it real today, whoever you are, wherever you are. And that's to stop complaining about the system while you're eating its junk food and start growing your own health food that'll square you away and make you a warrior and make you smart and sharp and hard and fight back and fight for that land that you're now cultivating. That's the rhetoric. That's the difference between throwing rocks and planting seeds, between fire bombs and seed bombs. And that, to me, completes this exploration. And without even speaking much about Ted Kaczynski and Bill Mollison to juxtapose two, one very effective movement leader and one very ineffective pseudo-wannabe movement leader, both with passion and with intellect, but one with a faulty, tactically incorrect, strategically incorrect fail, and one 
that has achieved massive, though still underground, global impact. And it wasn't just a manifesto, it wasn't just words. So, one archetype, Ted Kaczynski represents what I would call violent coercion as a political praxis. And on the other hand, Bill Mollison, co-founder of Permaculture Design System, represents the force of persuasion. And I like the saying by many permaculturists, we learn not to impose ourselves, we go where we're invited. And that's a lot like the Green Berets in the sense that, hey, we're here to advise, we're here to help train, but you give a man a fish, he eats today. You teach him how to fish, he'll eat the rest of his life and feed his family and his village. So in the spirit of the Green Berets, I think the, the permaculture movement is exuding now wisdom, whereas the street battles, incendiary device, doing everything that the FBI director told you not to do, otherwise you're gonna get, you're gonna be in trouble, and that includes violence or threats of violence actions in furtherance, in furtherance of an ideology and violation of federal laws. Those three things get you on that. Maybe you may, might be the least wanted, but you will be on the wanted list, even if you're not the most wanted. You'll be on the least wanted because <laughs> you'll just be a thorn in their side. But hey, once you stop being young, dumb, and full of cum like I was, and you evolve and you learn how to be balanced and you say I'm not volunteering my services but I would love I would love for agitators from the left to pique the interest of all of the intelligence agencies around how much tactical advantage they're leaving on the table by not studying permaculture. So you're doing it wrong and you are you are at a tactical disadvantage in all of your gunfights, in all of your raids, in all of your investigations because you lack a permaculture design certificate as part of your pedagogy for being a warrior for justice. And that if I, just by being a word magician, troll a dragnet of permaculture search queries and permaculture collectives and you start sending out your, your, your uh, dope-smoking, Grateful Dead shirt-wearing, bandana, hippie, funny glasses infiltrators out into the permaculture design community to try to infiltrate and be like hey guys uh hey you want to go out there and uh climb that fence and throw some seed bombs tonight <laughs> then 
there's going to be a love-love relationship at that point. It will be a love-love relationship if I can get through my antics these snarling dogs with, with hearts of gold, most of them, to actually chew on the bone of reading the Permaculture Designer's Manual because that's the Bible of the eco-terrorists. <laughs> and you have to study it the way you have to study Nazi, Satanist, pedophile propaganda so that you can know how to infiltrate it. Yeah, study permaculture design so that you can come and, and, try, to, and try to agent provocateur and agitate us and turn us into assets and goad us and tempt us to throw seed bombs and, and, and throw what I used to make with my collective is... We would make recycled cardboard paper airplanes that were imbued with seeds so that you could throw a paper airplane seed bomber. Okay? So come at me, bro. Let's make some let's make some recycled cardboard paper airplane seed bombers. And and we'll see how many of those have to be flown before you have a grand jury wanting to put me in federal you-know-what-me-in-the-you-know-what prison. And if anything, if I ever really fuck up and end up there, you know it's going to be the most sustainably grown permaculture design prison garden landscape that you ever dreamed of. And then you can you can hire me and put me on my speaking my speaking tour, and I'll be sponsored, and it'll be a love love relationship. But until then, it's a it's a it's a love, respect, and sometimes like. But I'm gonna take the hate away, because I'm, I'm gonna say that this is not the the Hoover FBI, and to be. <laughs> to be beaten for hours by both the extreme left and the extreme right. To me, there was something cathartic about it. And I just want to say that, you know what? I really stand with those agents who are protecting children, protecting us from from illegal drugs or from harmful synthetic drugs, protecting us from foreign adversaries in cyberspace and in every other theater of war and I'm going to say it's a it's a love and respect and like somewhat distrust but no longer hate so thank you all of these divine this cacophony of circus actors that brought this about but uh, yeah we are on the same team and we are eating and growing our nation within the same borders and the health of our forests the health of our waterways the health of our of the next generations you may not see yourself as having the same role as the EPA 
but I would certainly like more badasses from the FBI to do to be door kickers on all of the earth rapists that the EPA have to go and be mocked and made fun of the way that uh, most people, the first time they ever heard of the EPA was the, the pencil neck guy in Ghostbusters who basically ruined everything. And in fact, maybe he had a point because they were running an unlicensed nuclear reactor and that was their their proton packs and they had the containment unit and maybe maybe that 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 bureaucratic moment that they were you know mocking in that satire maybe that could have been could have been worked out a different way um but i think yeah i think we need to yeah open up dialogue and talk about who the, the real emmy is and there, there would be nothing more satisfying to me than to see people like Well, I'm not going to say his name, but I know for a fact that it is possible for formal, former federal law enforcement agents to actually, in the process of investigating the the dark side of of um, of the the naturalists and the the hippie entrepreneurs and whatnot, that there are folks. Who are who have who had left the federal government working in federal law enforcement, and that in the process of studying the fraudsters within the natural health and supplement um, industry, that it was by a, the side effect, no pun intended, of investigating these scoundrels, did they actually learn how horrific the diet that they had come to take for granted was. And that they started to actually heal themselves and seek the wisdom of the real people, the real eco-warriors and health warriors that were being undermined by and that were being um, given a bad name by the, by the bad guys that, that he was going after as a good warrior, as a uh, not, not one of those FDA warriors who went and terrorize the people who were selling raw goat's milk or whatever that kind of he wasn't one of those kind of thugs thankfully and but he became outspoken against the fuckery of the state and one of the most outspoken people ever i spoke about him in a previous episode but without saying his name i will say i know it's possible and i would love 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 to have the badasses, the real warriors, the sane, aggressive males who are on this planet to help fight insane, aggressive males, to put it bluntly, to oversimplify it, that the alpha males and alpha females, the alpha people who are there to be the sheepdogs for society and protect the weak and the helpless and to prevent them from being exploited by frauds and scams, that we would find ways without manipulating each other to fight for justice on, on the behalf of the health of the nation and that that can exist in a nonpartisan way in compliance with the laws of the land and to the letter and the spirit of the law and in a way where you're not wasting energy, I'm not wasting energy and we're synergizing and finding the edges where we can actually weaken the bad guys and strengthen 
weaken the bad forces and empower the good forces. And I'm smart enough to know now, after all these years, that the way I'm going to frame the rhetoric, and you could take it as a nod to the esoteric force, but yes, I'm no longer a foolhardy advocate of violent coercion. I'm not an eco-fascist. I would, I, would, I would never have considered myself an eco-fascist. But beyond not just being an eco-fascist, I'm also not interested in violence, threatening violence, operating in furtherance of an ideology in ways that break federal or violate federal laws. I'm interested in the force of persuasion which percolates through the systems in a way that's cognizant of the invisible structures is what we call it in permaculture. So if you want to percolate through the invisible structures and operate in a compliant manner, then like a magic trick, the revolution will be won and everyone will be living happily more happily, more free, and more healthy, with more integrity with the land. And there will have been no bloodshed, no skulls cracked, and no kinetic toe-to-toe street battles with the tactically disadvantaged eco-warriors going against all of the powers, legal and martial, of the state. That losing battle, for me, I'm not going to fight it because I will lose and I've already lost it. I'm not going to tempt that fate again. And I'm going to fight and apply myself in that manner that is the, uh, the force of persuasion. And more and more every day as I listen to the former general counsel of the NSA, and I listen to Talking Feds and the Lawfare podcast and National Security Law Today and former FBI privacy security and OSINT shows. I'm getting a mega dose of how how the uh, agents of the state actually function. And I'm understanding more and more that it's actually the lawyers who are the wizards that are the real puppet masters above everyone else. Because whether you're the tip of the spear on SEAL Team 6, or you are the president, or you are even the director of the FBI, you are all being puppeteered by the code that runs everything and the only people that sort of class of the 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 legal elite they're the only ones sophisticated enough intellectually to make it possible for any operationalization ability I've actually heard ex-military say that word 
you will not be, you cannot operationalize without the sign off from your superior general counsel within your agency. So the more I study all of these things, going back to something I said in the very beginning, what John Zerzan pointed out astutely, that code, law is the code that this whole system functions by worldwide. Yeah, and so what is that beg the question? Well then, who, who really has the power? Who are the real power brokers? It's those who can use their wizardry to create these sort of legal smoke screens to make it possible to, for example, invade Iraq under the false pretense of weapons of mass destruction. How do you think that got pulled off? It was all, it all had to be shoehorned into international law and the rules of armed conflict and all, and yada, 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 yada. And that goes down to the street level, to the darkest, deepest ghetto gutter, to, to the highest buildings in Dubai. It's all the wizards of law who who are, who are the masters of this whole game board of, 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 of the, the, the social reality, the civilized reality that we're in. So to me, it seems very gross and blunt and brutish to even think about engaging in warfare on a, on a, on a kinetic level. And now really the way to do it, to do anything, is to figure out a way, figure out ways to operate and operationalize where some constellation of regulatory arbitrage results in the disempowerment of what Bill Mollison called the bastards rolling over everything. Find a way, find ways to, without ever being with arm's reach, within arm's reach of a riot cop of all people, to to induce the system against itself to implode, understanding those principles of money, ideology, coercion, and ego, just as a starting point, for example. Well, I guess all I know is that uh, I have, because my skull isn't cracked, I can continue to meditate, be close to the earth, live simply so that others may simply live, and come up with creative ways to imagine a peaceful implosion of all that I despise while being in full compliance with the law. Because I'm studying how the masters do it. And I will be damned if I, uh, if I get complacent and lazy and cut a corner at this point. I even know how to manage 
the website that this is coming from because of advisement that I took from the former general counsel of the NSA, which is not because we're best friends or there's any mutual endorsement, but because I'm just paying attention and my skull never got cracked. So thank you to all of the good people with good hearts, the real warriors, the real sheepdogs who are there for the right reasons, who haven't been corrupted by the Russians or by their own lo or, or lobbyists within their own country that actually have a moral compass. They're not working for the Fortune 500 and they're not working for rogue nations. They're working for the land, they're working for the people. They got their heads screwed on straight and I'm not going to be so flippant and dismissive of an anarchist to not give respect where it's due. And I have all the time in the world to catch up on a lot of disrespect and to make an apology out of myself for my people, my movement, and say, you know what? You spend a lot of time infiltrating us, let's spend a lot of time infiltrating you. So I'll see you at the drum circle. <laughs> Cheers.